Welcome to the Amplifier Podcast, the show where the best in business discuss how you can grow your business best. I'm Wyatt McPherson, I produce this show, and on his first of three episodes, Don Cooper is joined by Howard Getson, the president and CEO of Capital Logics, and someone who has always had a passion for growing businesses and wealth through new technology. Howard will be with us for two more episodes after this one discussing the stages to growing a successful business, how to take it even further, and the people and tools you need to get there. It's a fantastic conversation all around, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss the next episodes with Howard. And as always, I truly do hope that you enjoy this episode of the Amplifier Podcast. Now, please take it away, Don. Welcome, everyone, to the, this episode of the Amplifier Podcast. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to a friend of mine, Howard Getson, uh, from Dallas, Texas. Howard owns a hedge fund run by AI. Yeah. And he's got a data, and it's also a data science company called right. Capital Logics. Yeah. So. Now, what, what surprised me about Howard that I didn't know was that he has a degree in both psychology and philosophy. The, the philosophy part I, I, I makes sense based on how I've heard you speak. And then, of course, you've got an MBA in finance uh, from Northwestern. So welcome, Howard. I, I'm really happy to have you on the show. I think you have a lot of cool insights that entrepreneurial companies can really appreciate. And, you know, some of your favorite topics that I've heard you speaking about, um, amplified intelligence, intellectual shortcuts, and mental frameworks. You know, recently we're in a meeting and I, and I just really appreciated your analogies of understanding efficiency and effectiveness and results. There was, there was just a, a mental framework that you shared that I, I was writing profusively as you were, as you were uh, speaking about that because it just was so succinct and such a, such a elegant way to think about each of those topics. Yeah. You and I share a little bit of uh, entrepreneurial learning DNA with strategic coach. So, uh, you know, as I listen to you talk, I hear, I hear words littered through your uh, commentary, like front stage and backstage and unique ability. So much of the innovative, cool ideas that I love have little bits of strategic coach thrown in and it's the framework thinking and and the reason it's so beneficial for an entrepreneur is because the structure of the exercises or the thought process creates the freedom to to think as big or as innovatively as you want within the spaces because it feels it feels constrained and safe so if you're doing something like a, a, a 10 times mind expander exercise where you're thinking about growing your business 10 times, a lot of people at the beginning have trouble imagining what that would be like because it's so hard to even make your business 3% better or 5% better. So Strategic Coach has some techniques that help with this where they say, all right, well, let's think about five stages that your business was getting to here. And in a sense, it's hard for you to feel something's fake or uh, imaginary if it's already happened. So you start to think about the original idea 
and then what that first stage of your business was like, and then the second stage. And then they start asking questions like, what, what was the key metric at this point? Or what was the constraint that you had to fix before you got from that stage to that stage? And all of a sudden you start in your head having confidence that you overcame these things and that first stage business became the second stage business became and you get comfortable let's say it's you know this much um and i'm i'm using if you're listening on a podcast i'm using my hands to just indicate a certain distance so you realize that stage one to stage two is like that much difference and stage two to stage three but now they say imagine the next three stages since you're already good at seeing what it looked like at that level of granularity, and you, it's easy to start to understand what comes next. But notice mm -hmm. that as I started talking about that, you stop paying attention. It's because nobody mm -hmm. cares what the entrepreneur does, except for the entrepreneur. So the entrepreneur is like super tweaked about their own technology. He's like, oh, let me tell you about the, you know, and I, I used to make a joke that it's like, we've got like fluorescent fonts and a vibrating attachment and it works underwater. Um, but because it's ridiculous when the entrepreneur thinks about it, but the key is you, you need to be doing something that has energy for you, but recognize that the thing that you do is a noun. Okay. A noun is like a thing. And so you're building a thing that's supposed to verb or do something to deliver benefits for the customer. So, so my noun, this insighted, is supposed to do something that people want. And what I think people are gonna want, it's the organizing principle for my next 25 years, is amplified intelligence. And that means, you know, we're at the tipping point where AI, uh, exponential thinking, exponential technologies have this promise of exponential results. So what is amplified intelligence? It's better decisions, smarter actions, and continually improving performance. Now, for me, turns out I use that to run a hedge fund. Um, and it's, it's really very cool. And it's 100% autonomous AI that's learning and evolving and getting smarter but what it's not doing is it's not predicting markets. See, uh, I will get into that later. What it's doing is it's figuring out what it can know faster so that we can take decisive action on what we know while other people are still taking tentative action on what they're guessing, right? That's, that's in a sense, the, the hidden kind of how we do what we do. But the key is we, we now have an autonomous hedge fund, but that's where we are. And it's based on amplified intelligence. But now let me explain the business plan. When I started, I was a fundamental trader. And that meant that I was using the kind of data that anybody had about a business to decide what I wanted to invest in. in, in when I first started doing this, I was the CEO of a, another AI company, but it's called Intelligent Control. And I ran that through the 90s, uh, kind of a 10-year stint when AI was, was much younger. But I would speak at um, Comdex or Macworld or all these different conferences. And one of the things that would cause me to invest is I would watch a company that had a booth 
And I would watch as their CEO went from giving the same kind of speech that I had just talked about to a keynote. And their booth moved to be like on the end cap of an aisle. And then it got to be the point where they had the end cap at the aisle with some partners in their booth, but the CEO was really off the show floor and there was an entourage bringing people to and from that person. And you could kind of watch the ascension of a Tom Siebel or, or some of the internet darlings. And as I watched a company start to ascend, I invested. And in a bull market, that may be all the edge you need. I thought I was a wicked good investor, but really a <laughs> floating tide rises or a rising tide floats all boats, right? You so, just had to watch the tide. Yeah. So, so it started where I was a fundamental investor. Uh, stage two, I remember uh, I was on an airplane. I flew from Dallas to Denver. Uh, I was interviewing uh, somebody who owned a piece of technology that was used in rocket science. And, and if you think about a missile being shot in the air, you perform calculus to figure out where the target is. But in real life, the missiles being buffeted by the air, there's all sorts of stuff. And this was a form of visual noise reduction so that it was easier to have the calculation go right. And I thought that would be cool in trading. So I, I remember that's what the meeting was about. But when I got off that hour and a half flight, I had lost over a quarter million dollars. And I was like, how did that happen? And the answer is, is uh, Nortel announced bad earnings and a whole bunch of other stuff in my portfolio was somehow correlated to that. And so I tried to figure out what would give me a bigger edge. And I realized it was technical analysis. It was using intraday data. It was figuring out the money ball statistics um, so that we kept track of every trade and every setup, not only the good ones. It, it wasn't just something to make me feel good. It was actually something that we were going to use to improve the process to be more efficient, more effective, more certain. Then stage three was really interesting. It's where we started doing this at massive scale. There's a, a kind of a truism in business trading as well, and trading as a business, but and it's that if you use the same process and the same data as other people, you don't have an edge. Right. So it occurred to me that we needed to use better data and a better process. Right? I mean, it's obvious. But if, you're, if you've got more and better raw material, you can do something different. And frankly, being able to look at the result of an algorithm on a market at a particular time frame is cool. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, 10 years before this, it wasn't even possible. But, but to be able to look at it in the level of granularity that we had was really cool. But then I said, wouldn't it be even cooler if I could look at that algorithm on every market and every time frame, and, and it made so much sense to me in my head um, and the French have a proverb that says something like, beware what you wish, because it often comes true. Well, mm -hmm. once, once we actually automated that and, and started to get all that data, 
we were paralyzed because we didn't know what to do with that much data. And not only that, we didn't realize how dirty the data was. And so if, if there's another phrase in computing, garbage in, garbage out, nothing in, nothing out. Um, mm -hmm. But if you don't know that you've got garbage coming in, you think that you're doing the right stuff and that presence gold should be coming out, but uh, it's fool's gold at that point. So stage three was technical trading at scale. Uh, stage four was when we realized that that paralysis was a real opportunity because any, any of the old trading firms that started to automate were gonna to start to have the same issues of, of I've got too much data, how do I, how do I clean it? I uh, have to be innovative about finding new metrics so that you can figure out what really is better. Um, let me just give you an example. If I test, and let's just pretend it's 100 algorithms, right? Which is a small number because we can generate 100 algorithms in a day. But let's, let's say there's 100 algorithms that we're looking at, let's say Google stuff. Just for uh, no, the S and P 500 because it goes back longer. And I said, okay, of these algorithms, go all the way back to the year 2000. Which one made the most money? Is that the best one? Does it have any bearing on whether that'll make or keep money today? I mean, the one that made the most money till 2000. Um, what about if I said the one that lost the least money or the one that had the the best ratio? And the answer is you don't know which of these variables is right because they all could be right. And later, what you'll figure out is that, and they change, but it's, it's, not, it's not an answer that's set in stone. It's about having a constant set of observation to say, here's what's filling my cup the fastest. Yeah, so it's that, dynamic. Yeah, and it, dynamic it's dynamic across a hundred uh, of those patterns and, yes. and, and more. So, so for me, stage four was about clean data innovation, having an R&D culture, but really a maturing company where we started to have different teams within the company, the trading team, the data science team, the operations team. And then stage five was autonomous AI. It occurred to me that, that algorithms are important for a bunch of different reasons. And one is, it eliminates or minimizes fear, greed, discretionary mistakes. The, the worst mistakes that happen in trading are because we use these meat suits that, <laughs> that we run around in. Well, and and understanding that, you know, that this, this, this uh, fragile meat suit that we wear is driven by prejudices and biases that are, that are sometimes unconscious to us, right? They're emotional and there's a bunch of things going on there that can influence decisions that gives, you know, so many humans, I think I, I experienced this in, in so many places. We think we make logical intellectual decisions, but in reality, we make emotional decisions and then search for the logic to back it up. Well, that, that's, that's true. And, and frankly, that's, uh, I was, I was a psychology and philosophy major. I was always fascinated in how people make better decisions and what is a better decision. And, and how do you know something? There's thinking, there's feeling, there's knowing. And, and knowing is a different state. And what I found algorithmically is that you could know something for a period of time, but even things that you know could change. 
So the, the trick to this technique that I'm showing you is by, by me breaking my business into these five stages and understanding what happened, it's easy for me to now project three into the future. So right. the, the cool thing about where we are now is it's truly autonomous AI that's learning. So it's easy for me to imagine stage one is going to be where we create many funds or many financial products based on this technology. Right now, we have one that, in a sense, is using AI to say, which markets are we going to trade? What techniques would we use? What's the appropriate risk level? What's the right allocation strategy? All the different things. It's, it's layers or tiers of AI. But really, I could do this in a metals fund or a currency fund or an emerging markets fund. And, and it would cost me almost nothing because it's the exact same technology applied to a different thing. And if you think about uh, simplifier versus multiplier concepts, mm -hmm. the easiest way for me to multiply is simply to apply it with a slightly different filter. Uh, we could even apply it to different geographies. You know, this is the Asia fund, the the North American fund, the European fund, the South American fund. Obviously, people are saying crypto. You, you got to figure out where the animal spirits are. Now, for right. me, I disagree with a lot of that. I, I think that if the technology can look at all of it, why not have one fund that's opportunistic? And if it's the right time to invest in commodities, it will. But if not, it... It's, it's saying I can make more money in currencies or I can make more money in equity indices or I don't want the human to have a bias that says this is what I want. But on right. the other hand, as an entrepreneur, I realize that I don't want to have a bias that says if that's how somebody wants to buy something, uh, I'm going to tell them that they're wrong. No, I'm going to say thank you. Would you like another? Uh, it, it's like Jay Leno with the uh, Nacho Dorito chips. He says, uh, eat one, we'll make more. Right. Um, <laughs> all right. So stage one in the future for us is obviously many funds. It'll rely <laughs> on the insight engine. So then here's where, where thinking starts to come in. So talent is no longer the constraint. Up until now in my business, if I wanted to do more, I had to hire who's. I had to hire people that figured out the house. But once you've got a level of automation in what you're doing, talent or who isn't the problem, distribution becomes the problem. A different way to say that is, I've simplified enough, now it's time to multiply. And the bottleneck or the constraint defines the throughput of what's possible. So the next stage, it's obvious, is hey, if I, was, if I said, that diversification was better and I could do this on other areas like commodities or metals, what about one chunk higher other industries? So stage two for us is where you recognize that what we do is not run a hedge fund. What we do is deliver amplified intelligence. This is the key distinction where instead of identifying as a hedge fund manager, I mean, I've spent $40 million building an infrastructure of people, process, information, and machines. You know, there's vision, there's capacity, and there's reach, but there's 
this concept that says now that I've built this set of capabilities and we have all these intellectual shortcuts, right? Things that we do really well, what else could I use them for? And so the first is we're going to do this in many industries where we're going to let entrepreneurs like you use our AI to make your business better Mm -hmm. because every business wants to maximize this or minimize that or figure out which variable is really the thing that leads to what you're looking for. I was able to recognize that that means we're going to have to build vertical industry expertise. So assume it's medical or digital advertising or construction. Um, I'm going to need public facing staff, customer service, training, outreach in those industries. But I realized that the constraint is going to be my joint venture partner. Our unique ability is amplifying intelligence or figuring out how to make better decisions, take smarter actions and improve performance. But really in that joint venture, it's gonna be about finding entrepreneurs who have a significant position in a space uh, and, and in a sense leveraging what they do. And we need partners who are really partners. And then stage three is chunking that one step higher and realizing our unique ability is really a platform that others will build upon. And I want to make what we do simple enough where somebody like you doesn't have to hire PhDs who, who uh, understand applied mathematics or um, machine learning or game theory or utility functions or any of the things that make your head fuzzy. I simply want you to focus on your business and we'll help you break your business into functional components so that you understand, you know, you have a start, middle and end of a process. And as you map those functional components, you have different choices within them. And there's a way to solve the equation to say, what are we, what are we actually trying to achieve? And, and then measure in real life a meritocracy of results that says this will provide the highest score for this component. This will provide the highest score for that. And you want to create an optimization score across the components that, that says you're making progress or improving. And it, and it means making business solvable. So I now have a very nice roadmap in my head from where I was to where I'm going, there's a true North star that calls us forward. And I'm not focused on how far am I away from my ultimate vision? It's am I making progress through those stages? And there you have it. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Amplifier Podcast. Howard actually did three episodes with us, so be sure to check out the other ones if you haven't already. And also, please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Make sure you leave a like slash rating on your respective podcast platforms. It truly does help us out a lot. And we shall see you next time on the Amplifier Podcast.